please be seated. church we are in week number four of our series American Idols first week we identified what an idol was and it was different than what we mostly think of an idol we think of an idol as a little statue something we worship we also learned about the idol of more and used the rich young ruler and the it could be worse idea Last week, we studied the idol of success and identified that what God calls as success is different than what the world says is success. Today, we're going to tackle an idol, and it honestly may be one of the hardest ones to deal with, and that's the idol of control. And I believe that many more people struggle with this idol than ever want to admit or acknowledge it. And I, I'm going to be honest with you here. When I first started working on this, I thought, hey, this is easy because all I have to do is talk about all the people that I know that are like this, and, and it's nothing that I have to deal with. But then I realized, okay, there are areas of my life I want to control as well. And maybe you think, yeah, this doesn't apply to me. Well, you may struggle with this and not even realize it. Now, you can get on the internet and you can take a, a test. Am I a control freak? Type that in and it'll pop up all kinds of things. Well, I kind of developed my own test here. And so on the back part of your bulletin where the notes are, I want you to just get that out. And, and I'm going to ask you some questions here and, and just make a mark here. And we're going to find out where you rate as far as control, okay? So you're not going to find this one on the internet. This is kind of Alan's control test. And I want you to honestly answer these questions. And probably the better way to have done this is to hand this to your person who's sitting to your right or left that might know you pretty well and let them do it. But just imagine the, the person who knows you the best is looking over your shoulder, helping you answer these questions. All right. Do you like to help other people drive, tell them what route to take or when to turn, where to park, and remind them that the traffic light has changed? If you do, score one. Give, do you like to give people a lot of unsolicited advice, suggestions, and constructive criticism? Do you insist on being right, having things done your way, or having the final word? You know, I realize that as a basketball referee, coaches always get the final word in. So they struggle with this. All right. Do you find it difficult to admit making mistakes, being wrong, or misinformed about something, or acknowledging that you've changed your mind? Do you become angry, irritable, or anxious when something or someone t makes you late, when things don't start on time or don't go according to plan? Do you consider yourself a team player? 
Maybe you ought to ask, do others consider me a team player? That might be better. Do you invest a lot of time trying to convince other people to change? Do you have trouble maintaining meaningful relationships? Do you feel that you can always do things better than someone else and end up doing it yourself? Do you lack compassion for people who make mistakes? All right, if you marked at least three on that little quiz there, you've got some control issues that I'm glad you're here this morning. Okay? And I think that this is going to be beneficial for you. People who struggle with control believe that they know what's best for you, and they spend a lot of energy and time convincing you of that. You know, I really know what's best for you, so you need to do what I tell you. They micromanage. They intervene on your behalf. That means that they are constantly stepping in. Well, here, let me do that. I can do that better than you. They offer constructive criticism. You know, I struggle with that one because anytime somebody says, hey, can I give you some constructive criticism? You know, criticism is still criticism, whether it's constructive or not. Nobody likes it. And really what they're saying is, I want to tell you what you're doing wrong. But they won't, you know, if they say, preface it that I'm going to offer constructive criticism, then it's okay, right? Okay. Um, where are we at? They, they, people with control issues, they, their lives may be out of control themselves, but they relentlessly try to control everyone else. They will try to dominate other people's plans. Try going on vacation with someone who's a control freak. They will decide when you leave the motel, where you eat, when you come back. They will make every decision for you. You can just go along and just enjoy the ride at least once. They are obsessively opinionated and believe their opinions are factually and universally right. They can be an overbearing perfectionist. They generally think that they have a better way of doing things than most. They get frustrated or angry if their advice isn't taken. Now, honestly, the idol of control is it's a subtle idol that it can creep into your life so slowly and so quietly that we don't even know that it's taken over our life and people who struggle with control normally try to justify it well I'm just trying to help or I like doing things a certain way. You understand that, don't you? I just like things done a certain way. Where, really what they're saying is, you're not doing this good enough. You know what you'll never hear anybody say? You know what I like about her is she's a control freak. You know, control freaks often repel people with their demands and their unsolicited advice and they struggle to maintain both professional and personal relationships. But this control idol has been around a long, long time. And unfortunately, this idol of control has even found its way into the church. And we talked about that last week with the, with the Pharisees and how hypocritical they were because they 
loaded people down with legalism, a bunch of rules and regulations and traditions that God never intended. And really, honestly, he could care less about. But they want to try to enforce those rules and regulations on others. And really what it is, it's about control. They want people to, to do church like they want to do church. Do you know why people sometimes stop giving to God's church? They try to manipulate the leadership. It's all about control. Well, I didn't like that decision that they made. I didn't like that decision the board made, so I'll show them. I'm just going to withhold my money. I'm just not going to give anymore. Really what this is about is control. I didn't get my way. When I was senior pastor at Davis Park and we decided to relocate from the corner of 11th and Chestnut out on North Van Buren, we actually, or I actually had a, a, a man come and said, you know, you, you can't move. I'm like, why not? Because we're not going to support it. I said, what do you mean? We're not going to give any money and you can't move without, without our money. Now, this was after the elders had prayed and fasted and we believed that God was leading us to make this move. And I said, really, it kind of sounds like you're trying to blackmail God. And I want to tell you something, friends. God doesn't need your money to accomplish his will. We give not because he needs our money. He, we give so that he can bless us. Well, guess what? We moved. God provided why are there always fights about music in church and the way we worship God with our music? It's all about who gets to have their way of church. And sometimes people stop attending or stop serving, stop giving, and they complain about every little thing because really what it is is they want control. I don't like the lights. I don't like the music. I don't like this. I don't like that. It is what it means is I don't have control over it. You know, I'm really so glad that we don't have any of those issues here at this church. I believe that probably 98% of all church conflicts are over control. And I think that a high percentage of the conflicts that we experience in our personal lives are all about control. Who's going to get their way? And guess what? The devil dances with joy and happiness because he knows that many of us are bowing to this idol of control. And it sure makes him happy. Well, let's get to our Bible application of this idol called control. You know, there, there are a lot of uh, scripture references that we could have used to have illustrated how people use control in the Bible and how people decided to do their own things. But the ones that we're going to use today are found in the book of Genesis, beginning with chapter 11. And let me just give you a, a little bit of background. Nimrod, he was a grandson of Ham, okay? Noah's son, Ham, through Cush, and his name means rebel. He was the world's first dictator, and he was also known as a great hunter, and he was the first kingdom of man ever mentioned in the Bible. Now, when you compare Genesis 10.10 10 with our, our scripture that we are going to read, it's almost like we go back a little bit. But Nimrod was a mighty man of God, and I found out in my research this week that not only was he a good hunter, 
but he had a control problem. And he was a big man, like a, almost like a giant of sort. And so he used this stature to control people and to really bully his way. And so he established the first earthly kingdom and he led people into rebellion and disobedience of God. Let's re read in Genesis chapter 11. The heading on this in chapter 11 says the Tower of Babel. We're going to begin reading with verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said one to another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and butamen for mortar. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city because the name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth now if you go back to chapter 10 verse 10 says the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and then verse 11 says from that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh okay now, he started building the cities in the land of Shinar, which what we know as Babylon, Iraq. And that very country, Iraq, has warred with God's people ever since. And from the land of Babylon, they went eastward to Assyria. Well, if you stay you know, tuned into the news, you see what's going on in Assyria with Assad and stuff. These people are, have been constantly at war with God's people. Now, you're thinking, what does this guy really have to do with control? I'll tell you exactly what it has to do with control. God gave a command after the flood to repopulate the earth and to disperse. Nimrod decided, no, we're going to stay here. We're going to disobey God. And we're going to build this mighty tower. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And so he led people into rebellion and he established the first earthly kingdom. And it was all about him deciding, I want to be in control, not God. And God had to come down, scatter their, their people because he scattered their language. And it was Nimrod's group who started that Babel project. And we see Babylon opposing God's people throughout the entire Bible, concluding with the great Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18. And God's people have been suffering the results of his disobedience 
and his desire for control for thousands of years. And it all started with Nimrod. Now I want you to consider something this morning. How you may struggle with this idol of control, and maybe you don't even realize it. But yet you feel like everything has to be under your control. And what I kind of found out this week is control and perfectionism go hand in hand. Because perfectionists feel like they want everything just right and it has to be under their control. Most of the things in life that we spend time worrying about, we have no control over. And we tend to worry about the worst case scenario, don't we? If you go into the doctor for a test, you begin immediately thinking about the worst case scenario, don't you? Most of the things, though, that we spend time worrying about, we have absolutely zero control over. But yet our daily lives are affected by people and events that we don't control. Decisions that maybe an adult child makes. Maybe a job change or a move that you really didn't care to make and you had to do it anyway. Maybe a battle with a health issue. I want you to write, th- write this down. There are two truths about life. Most of the good things in life I do not orchestrate. Most of the good things in life I do not orchestrate. That means we didn't cause it to happen. And most of the bad things in life I don't anticipate. Most of the bad things in life I do not anticipate. I believe if there's anyone who could effectively been in control of their entire life, it would have probably been Solomon. If you read through the Bible and you realize Solomon was not only the wealthiest man, but he was the wisest man. So he was wise, smart, and he apparently he was good looking too because he had a lot of, a lot of wives and things. But he was wealthy, so he could basically call his own shots. So he could have been in control of everything, but listen to what he wrote in Ecclesiastes 9.11. And again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to all of them. You understand that? These things that we are unable to control happen to everybody. I think God puts us through these things in life to remind us that we are the creation and He is the creator. I think He puts us through these things so that it reminds us He's in control and we're not. Now, honestly, I think we know that God's in control of everything, right? But we want it. We want to have control of those things. But we have to understand that ultimately God is in control of of these things. And I'm going to be honest with you here. When my life is going good, when things are, are going just picture perfect, I don't have a problem at all letting God stay in control. But when things start to get a little bit bumpy and things get a little bit chaotic, 
When things start happening that I don't agree with or I think are not right, that's when I decide I want to take this control back from God. Because after all, I know better what needs to happen in my life than God, right? Truly. Anybody here with me? That on a good day, I don't have a problem letting God control it. But a bad day, God, you better let me handle this one. Because I, I, I know better. God, just sit this one out. The reality is that God is in control and we're not. Now, we all know that, or at least we should. Any person who's ever been in any kind of a recovery program knows that. Whether it's an alcohol or a drug or a gambling, whatever that recovery is that they're going through, they understand that there's a higher power. And we understand that higher power is Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. And they understand that when they acknowledge that they don't have control, good things happen. And this idol of control is smashed in their life. All right, real quickly, I'm going to give you three things that I think are going to happen when you give up control in your life. Okay? When we give up control, number one, you're going to love people better. You're going to love people better. If you talk to anybody who struggles with control issues or a control freak, they have one common frustration, and it's called people. People just get in their way. They're always going to be an inconvenience, a, an interruption, a disturbance, a change in their plans, and, and they just frustrate people that have control issues. People that have these control issues, they just say, you know, people just don't do what I want them to do. If they did it, we'd get along great, right? How many of you live your life in compartments? Okay, let me explain what a compartment is. Okay, you've got your work compartment. You've got your home compartment. You've got your hobby compartment. You've got your church compartment. And you really like to keep these compartments separate, okay? You don't like work calling when you're at home. Hey, I'm in my home compartment. Work don't bother me. Well, I'm in my church compartment. I don't want to have to parent right now, so I'm in my church compartment. You know, I'm in my hobby compartment, and so I don't want work, and I don't want home, and I don't want church calling me because I'm fishing today, and I, I'm in my fishing compartment. When I was working on this sermon, I, w I went upstairs where it was quiet in one of the rooms upstairs, and I came downstairs, and Teresa said, oh, you've got, a, got somebody on the line that needs to talk to you about something, and I'm like, I'm in my sermon compartment right now, Okay. That's an interruption of my schedule here, and right now I'm in that compartment, and I want to stay there. If you, if you ever come up to the office, and Eric's door's closed, and he's got this note, you know, do not disturb, he's got it in Spanish, you know, he's in his sermon compartment. And so, unless somebody's dead or dying or near death, we don't disturb him, because he's in his sermon compartment. You're not going to get his full attention. A lot of us want to stay in our compartments because that's how we're in control. And when you worship an idol called control, other people will always be your problem. They're always going to be an interruption, a disturbance in your plan. 
Don't hold up your hands because I don't want you to get elbowed or anything. But how many of you right now are frustrated because somebody in your life won't let you fix them? They're broken and you could fix them so easily, but they just won't let you. Okay, don't hold your hands up because we're not going to do that. But what if you gave control over that person and say, okay, God, it's not my job to control them or to fix them. My job is just to love them. So you will love better when we give up control. When you surrender control and let his job, God do his job of changing people, and you're just free to love people, you're going to get along so much better. Secondly, is when you give up control, you're going to live bolder. You'll live far more boldly. The main thing about control is its safety, because what I'm in control of, I feel safe with. The things that are out of control is, I don't feel so safe with. What if you just release that and say, okay, God, you be in control, and let's try it your way. That is why so many Christians, they don't risk doing anything for Jesus. They don't risk any giving or sacrifice or do anything. They want to stay safe and in control because you can't do that and fully follow Jesus. Stay in control and in risk. Let me ask you a question. What can you do right now without worrying about managing the outcome? Let me rephrase that. Can I do the right thing, what I know God wants me to do, without worrying about managing the outcome? Let me give you a few examples. What about sharing Christ with somebody? You know, when you are bold enough to share Christ, you don't always know how that's going to turn out, do you? You don't know if you're going to lose a friend or if they're going to reject you. What about confronting a brother or sister who is engaged in a sin and speaking the hard truth to them without knowing how it's going to end up, whether it's going to cost you that relationship or not? Moving or changing jobs, getting out of a bad or a negative relationship. If you do what's right, it doesn't matter the outcome because you're not in control. God's in control of the results. And I think you'll find it very liberating and freeing just to give God control and say, okay, God, you're in control. I'm not. Finally, when you give up control, your praise is going to become much bigger. It'll become much bigger. A lot of people feel that everything in their life has to be perfect in order to really praise God in an effective way. You get up, Ladies, if you have a bad hair day, ah, I can't praise God today. My hair's messed up. Guys, I'm mad at my wife, so I can't praise God today. The children misbehave, so things aren't going well, so my schedule's out of control, or on and on and on. I, I can't praise God today. And I think that's one of the biggest hindrances for Christians who do not truly worship God. Is they've got this attitude, when I finally get things under control, then I'm going to praise God. And it's hard, though, sometimes to praise God, isn't it? 
There are days when you don't want to praise God, but guess what? God said, do it anyway. Apostle Paul said, I have learned. That meant he had to learn to do this to be content in all situations and, and to give God praise, whether I'm hungry, whether I've got plenty, whether I am healthy or not. I have learned to give God praise in all those situations. If you ever meet somebody that has been uh, converted in prison, they have very little control over anything in their life, but they do have control over how much praise they give to God. And if you ever get a chance to go to a worship service with prisoners, men or women, like I said, they, they're in total control of somebody else in their schedule and everything. The only thing they have control over is their praise. And for some people, when they run out of control, they run out of praise. Well, for Jesus, it seemed like the cross was out of control, didn't it? It seemed like things were so far out of control that there was nothing that was good was going to happen. But guess what? That was exactly God's plan. He said, this is all under control. Close your Bibles up and just listen for a minute. Maybe today your life is out of control. Maybe you're trying to control everything around you. Your finances, your job, your marriage, your everything. Your, and you are, are just saying, God, I've got this. I am going to control everything. And you're miserable. The answer isn't gaining more control. The answer is putting God in control. Allowing Him to have the control of the things that you need to just say, okay, God, these are yours. And when you put God in control, then our praise is not going to be hindered or restricted on our circumstances. Psalm 43, 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him my salvation and my God. You see, when you let God have control of your life, you're free to, to love, to live bolder, to praise bigger. You have to do one thing, though. You have to release it and let God have control of your life and surrender this idol of control. Pray with me. Lord, as we give thought and attention to this idol of control, Lord, I know many people struggle with this. Lord, I struggle with this. We think that we...